This is the first of two Bible readings this morning from the New Testament book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 19 to 26. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you and great to be able to share with you again from the Bible about worship. And my name's Rob. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you and I'd love to, if you'd like to ask any questions, please come and talk to me afterwards as well. I'm really glad to get your feedback and questions. We've been thinking about worship over the last two weeks and today we're going to be thinking about the Spirit's role, the role of the Holy Spirit in worship. So first of all, we we saw that, uh, that Jesus is the true worshipper, that Jesus comes to offer worship that human beings have failed to do. And in doing that, Jesus becomes the worshipper in our place and for our sake. And that Jesus also becomes like the the worship leader. He's the high priest, the one who leads us into worship of God. He makes it possible for us to join him in true worship of God the Father. And then last week we heard about the importance of listening for worship, how we need to listen to God's word in order to respond to him and worship him in the way that he wants us to. And so our worship, when we gather together, is interactive. That is, we hear from God and we respond to him. And in our whole lives, we're called to worship God by listening and responding. And today we're going to think about the Spirit's role. So I want to talk about, first of all, our need for the Spirit, and then to talk about how the Spirit makes us worshippers, and then how the Spirit helps us to worship, and finally, how the Spirit feels how the Spirit feels. So that's what we're going to be thinking about today. Let's start off thinking about this passage from John chapter 4 that we heard read today. And you may be familiar with this passage. You may not. 
It's a long one, and I'll just try to put it in a bit of context for us, but we've just heard read the, the, the crucial part when it comes to thinking about worship. So Jesus gets in a conversation in John chapter 4 with a woman from the city of Samaria, and this, the Samaritan people were really in a situation where they were in a, in a long-term argument with the Jewish people, the people of Israel, about true worship. They, had, they worshipped the same Lord God, but they worshipped in different ways. And, and this was a long-standing conflict going back eight or 900 years, so really pretty deeply ingrained. So it's surprising even that Jesus talks to this woman and she's surprised that he is talking to her. And they get in a conversation uh, sitting at a well and Jesus offers her living water. She doesn't really know what he's talking about but they have a bit of a conversation about that. And then uh, Jesus tells her some things about herself that he couldn't possibly know. And she is so impressed, she realises that Jesus must be a prophet. And so she's thinking, okay, here is someone with real insight about religious, spiritual stuff. I'll ask Jesus about the worship question. I'll ask Jesus about the, 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 the issue between us and the Jews. Sir, she says, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped God on this mountain, the mountain of Samaria. But you Jews claim that, a, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So part of the worship issue is about where you're meant to worship God. And Jesus responds uh, and he actually says, well, to tell you the truth... You guys were wrong and we were right about the whole worship question. But in fact, that whole thing now is just being superseded. Where we've come to a new stage and we're moving past that question of the right place to worship. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. A new situation is coming. Everything is going to change because of Jesus himself. Jesus is God's Messiah. Jesus is God's Son, and he brings a new worship situation that supersedes the old questions about where and the worship in Jerusalem that the old covenant provided for. And what is the worship, this new worship going to be about? Well, first of all, Jesus says that it's going to be worship of the Father, that the Lord God is now going to be worshipped as Heavenly Father, that the worshippers that the Father seeks are going to be his children and they're going to know him as a father. And that worship is going to take place and there are a couple of things that are going to happen there. First of all, that it's going to be worship in the truth. That is, the truth about God, the full truth about God is going to be revealed now in Jesus. The truth that God is a loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus himself actually is the truth. He says that later on in John's Gospel, that he is the way, the truth and the life. He is the way to God, the true and living way to know God the Father. So worship is going to be in the truth that Jesus reveals. And worship is going to be in the spirit. 
that the living water Jesus was talking about that he could give to this woman is the spirit of God and that this spirit is going to help people worship God the heavenly father. That's the worship that the father seeks. And in fact, Jesus says this is the way that it has to happen. If you want to be a worshipper, then you must worship in the spirit and truth. This is not just a possibility or an option, but a necessity if you want to be a worshipper. To have the Holy Spirit of God in order to worship. So what are we talking about here when we talk about the Holy Spirit? Well, just to step back a little bit, we need to remember that the the understanding of God that Christians have, which comes from the story of Jesus and the story of the gospel, is that God is one God who exists as three persons forever. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That in the action of the gospel, we see each of these actors at work in different ways and that the Father sends the Son and the Father pours out the Holy Spirit and that the Father is not the Spirit and the Son is not the Father and so on. They're different, they're distinct, but they're entirely united together as God and each of them is divine, has the the quality of being God. And so when we talk about the Spirit, we're talking about God We're talking about the Lord, uh, but we're talking about a person who is not the Father and not the Son. And so the Holy Spirit can be worshipped, but the early Christians realised that it was not appropriate to sort of worship the Spirit separately. That if if the Spirit or Jesus was worshipped apart from God the Father, then that that was a danger there that was going to become like tritheism it was going to be three there were going to be three gods that christians worshiped and they knew that was that was not acceptable that was out of bounds there's only one god and so they said that the the spirit can be worshiped with the father and the son you might remember words from the nicene creed that we sometimes say about the spirit we say with the father and the son he is worshiped and glorified the spirit can be worshiped together with the father and the son But when we talk about Christian worship, actually, that's not the usual way that we talk about it. And what I want to look at now is to think about the Spirit's role within worship, the crucial, vital, essential role that the Spirit plays in worship. And the first thing just to point out about this, I think, is not about us, first of all, but about Jesus. That Jesus came, and as we've seen, Jesus is the true worshipper, and Jesus is the true worshipper, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if we look at this gospel story, we can see again and again the Spirit at work in Jesus, enabling him to be that true worshipper. We see Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit at his baptism and at that moment kind of being commissioned by God to be God's son for the sake of the world. We see Jesus driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. We see Jesus responding to Satan uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, resisting temptation in a way that humanity and Israel failed to do. We see Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit praying. That's Luke chapter 10, verse 21. We see Jesus 
saying that he is the servant of the Lord, the one anointed with the, with the Holy Spirit in order to serve God and be God's uh, messenger and servant in the world. We see Jesus driving out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12, verse 28. And ultimately we see Jesus offering himself to God as a sacrifice for our sake by the power of the Holy Spirit. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews says this, chapter 9, verse 14. Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. And he did this to purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. So God makes us worshippers through the sacrifice of Jesus. But Jesus offers himself by the power of the Holy Spirit for our sake. That is, it was not possible for Jesus to do this uh, apart from the power of the Spirit. Jesus comes as a true human being and offers a real human obedience to God in worship. And he does that empowered by the Spirit. So Jesus shows us actually what is real humanity meant to be like? What is a real human worshipper meant to be like? They're meant to be someone filled with the Spirit of God and empowered by the Spirit of God to worship. It's impossible for us to be truly, fully what we're meant, meant to be, what we're made to be, apart from God's Spirit working in us. We need God's Spirit. That's actually meant to be normal in the Christian life, in human life. So Jesus shows us what human life is meant to be. Jesus dies on the cross, empowered by the Spirit, to do that for our sake. And then God makes, the Father makes him alive again by the Spirit's power. And the risen, the risen Jesus, uh, Luke tells us in the, at the start of Acts, gives instructions to the disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. The risen Lord Jesus continues to be entirely empowered by the Spirit of God to help us and minister to us and continue to uh, sustain us as his people. And Jesus taught his followers to pray for the Spirit, that the same Spirit that empowered Jesus we are meant to ask for in our life. So how does the Spirit help us to become worshippers? How does the Spirit transform us from people who worship things that are not God to being true worshippers of God? Well, first of all, Jesus says that the Spirit brings us to life again, brings us to spiritual life. You remember the discussion perhaps that John, uh, that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 he says that people need to be born of the Spirit. People need to be born again in order to see God's kingdom. So the Holy Spirit brings people from spiritual death and spiritual false worship to spiritual life. Paul recalls what happened in the, uh, to the Thessalonians when they became Christians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says, You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You turned from God, you sorry, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The Spirit helped them turn away from their false worship and become worshippers of God with joy. And in Titus, Paul says that Christians are people who have been saved by the rebirth and renewal that comes through the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit comes into someone's life, even when we don't believe in God, even before we 
respond to the message and begins to work in us to change us so that we can come alive spiritually. And then the Spirit helps us to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus and acknowledge Jesus is Lord. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually is the one that gives us the power to acknowledge that Jesus is our Saviour and our Lord. Faith in Jesus is actually the mark of the Spirit's work, the essential evidence that a person has the Spirit is that they say Jesus is Lord and mean it. So here the, the Spirit's work is kind of to not so much to get us to focus on the Spirit, but to get us to focus on Jesus. One Christian theologian, J.I. Packer, said that the Spirit has a searchlight ministry. You know what a searchlight is, a great big light that sort of points up into the sky and is you know, originally meant to try to find aeroplanes uh, up there in the sky or whatever, and that's the kind of ministry that the Spirit has. The idea is not to look at the light itself, but to look at what the, the light is illuminating. And this is what the Spirit does for us, it illuminates Jesus. We see Jesus clearly, and we put our trust in Jesus, and that's the Spirit working in our life. So the Spirit helps us to trust in Jesus, and through trusting in Jesus, the Spirit helps us to know God as our Heavenly Father. And this was uh, in the first reading that we heard. If you want to just flick back in your book there to page 3. And this is uh, from the letter to the Galatians, just an incredible little summary of what God has done to rescue us and save us and make us his children. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. What does the spirit do? The spirit comes into our lives and helps us to call out to God and to say these strange words, Abba, Father. And this word, Abba is the, the Aramaic word for father, the, the word that you would use to, to address your own father. So for most of us, probably dad, something like that. And uh, why include this word in Aramaic here in the middle of this letter? Well, we know from the gospel that this is the word that Jesus himself used in addressing God, Abba. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying that when the Spirit of God comes into our lives, we call out to God and relate to God as our Father in the same way that Jesus himself knows and relates to God the Father as the eternal Son. So just as Jesus is like the, the always Son of God, we become adopted sons and daughters. We become children of God when the Spirit comes into our lives. And so the Spirit enables us to know God as our Heavenly Father and know that we're God's children. And this is the great 
sort of ultimate gift of God to us in our lives, to have the Spirit which helps us to know the Heavenly Father and to be his children and to call out to him in this way. So it's kind of like uh, what God is doing for us, what God the Father is doing for us in the Gospel is... is a. One theologian said it's like a two-handed kind of work. You know, there's some jobs that you can do with one hand, but there are some things that need two hands, right? And so God's saving of us, of us is like a two-handed thing. God sends his son, one hand, to make a way for us to come to him to, for the forgiveness of our sins and so on. But the other hand, the spirit, empowers us to come to him and know him, trust him. Because we become estranged from God, we don't naturally relate to God as our Heavenly Father. But the Spirit actually, as a spirit of adoption, helps us to know, yes, we really do belong to Him. And yes, He really does love us. And yes, He will never let us go. That's the work of the Spirit in our life. So, here's a crude way of thinking. Imagine that you're a car. You're a car, you know, say like in Cars, the movie... Right? And you want to get to a destination, the Father, the Heavenly Father. What do you need? Well, you need a way to get there. You need the road. That's like Jesus. Jesus is the way. But what else do you need? You need fuel. You need power to get there. And that's like the Spirit, the power of God bringing you to God the Father. So I think... Many Christians are often anxious about the Holy Spirit and about whether they're really spiritual. Am I really spiritual? There, are, there seems to be other people who are more spiritual than I am. Do you ever have that anxiety? You know what I mean? Well, here, here I think is the, the key thing to think about when it comes to thinking about whether you're a really spiritual person. Do you trust in Jesus and do you know, therefore, God as your heavenly father and experience being his child, being God's child? That's really the key question about spirituality. That's really the key worship question as well. Is the spirit at work in my life? Well, do you trust Jesus? Do you love God, your heavenly father? Are you a child of God? These are the most important things to ask yourself about the Spirit's work. Okay, well, how does the Spirit help us to live a life of worship? Well, look, there are just so many things that could be said here. Uh, the New Testament is full of things that the Spirit does to help us in our lives. And so I can only, I'll just mention them briefly so you get a sense of the whole breadth of the Spirit's work in helping us to live a life of worship. First of all, the Spirit helps us to hear God's Word. The Spirit caused the Scriptures to be written in the first place and the Spirit makes the words of the Bible God's words to us today. It helps us to hear and understand them as a word to us now. Paul says that the Word of the Lord is the sword of the Spirit. It's the way that the Spirit goes to work, uh, actually setting us free from spiritual evil and from lies. The Spirit works in our hearts, softening our hearts so that we can receive God's word. The Spirit helps us to change and to obey God. 
Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. All those things, all those virtues, those characteristics that the Spirit brings into our life as we say no to an old way of life and yes to the Spirit's way, a way of love and joy and peace and patience and so on. The Spirit, as the Holy Spirit, is obviously the Spirit of holiness. So the Spirit helps us to be different, to be set apart, to be not like the normal way that the world is, but to put to death uh, the old way of life and to live a new way of life. The Spirit helps us to pray, helps us to pray in our weakness, helps us to sing spiritual songs. The Spirit helps us to serve. The Spirit gives gifts so that we can serve God in different ways. The Spirit empowers us for God's service. The Spirit is a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. We serve God by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit helps us to do the mission that Jesus has sent us on, to make disciples of all nations. The Spirit, we see in the book of Acts, helps people to speak boldly about Jesus. It gives people wisdom to speak about Jesus. The whole ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the new covenant, is the ministry of the Spirit, Paul says. And uh, Peter speaks about the way that Uh, People preach the gospel by the power of the Spirit so that the people he's writing to came to believe. So this is a real and genuine experience of the Spirit. Uh, When you try to share with someone the good news about Jesus or say something helpful to them about Jesus, usually in these moments we feel weak, we feel a bit pathetic in ourselves, Uh, But actually, this is when we feel the power of the Spirit working in us and through us. One of the things that we do at the University of Melbourne where I work with the students is that uh, often we go out and we talk to people, talk to strangers uh, and do a survey with them and talk to them about spiritual things and where it's appropriate to share with them about Jesus. And uh, so I will sometimes go out Uh, on the lawn and talk to someone along with one of our trainees or one of our students and you know in some ways this is this is crazy because what why would a modern university student have any interest in Jesus that's just you know that's just weird and going up and talking to strangers is weird as well Um, but it's just so interesting that when we pray beforehand and ask God to be at work in people and we go and talk people are willing to talk and again and again the spirit makes it possible for us to have a really great conversation with people about Jesus that you can actually that's an experience of the spirit's work and spirit's power as people uh, people's hearts are softened to be able to hear something about Jesus What else does the Spirit do? The Spirit helps us to keep going, uh, to persevere as Christians because the Spirit is the Spirit of hope. The Spirit is a down payment from God, a kind of guarantee or a seal saying that we really do belong to God and that we really will be part of his kingdom. Um, The Spirit makes our worship holy and acceptable. The Spirit sanctifies our worship. So our worship is always going to be imperfect, uh, always going to be flawed in some way, but God, God's Spirit actually presents it to God as acceptable worship. 
And there are many other things that we could say about the Spirit's work. In other words, the whole of the Christian life as an act of worship presented to God is empowered by the Spirit. Well, last question, what does the Spirit feel like? What does the Spirit feel like? I wonder how you would answer this question. What am I meant to feel if the Spirit is at work in me? Well, this is actually a pretty tricky question in some ways. And I think that one of the things we assume is that we, the experience of the Spirit will be an experience of a kind of euphoria. Do you know what I mean? That I will feel lifted beyond myself. If the Spirit is at work in me, I'll, I feel something beyond my human limitations, maybe an experience of pure joy or euphoria. Well, I think that 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 could well be the case, that the experience of the Spirit can be like that. We see Jesus rejoicing in the Spirit and often we have, at least we have the potential to have an experience of real assurance, a sense of being loved by God, a sense of being fully contented in belonging to Him, a sense of joy. That the experience of the Spirit can be like that, an experience of euphoria and joy, just the joy of knowing God and belonging to Him. But on the other hand, it is possible to have an experience like that apart from God. You know, if you, just, if you go to a really great game of sport and your team just wins at the last minute and it's a really, really important game... It feels fantastic, doesn't it? Does it? it yes, it feels fantastic. Um, and it's hard to rival that kind of experience of that sort of euphoria. But I, I assume that that's not the Holy Spirit that I'm feeling when I'm saying, yes, my team won. Or you go to a, you know, a concert, you see a band that you've loved for years and years, and everyone there loves the band and knows the songs by heart, and it's just it feels so great. I had some friends of ours describing going to a Radiohead concert um, and, you know, everyone there was a worshipper and they, they, they struggled for words to describe the experience of going to the concert and, but, and they said it was, it, was, it was sort of like a giant worship service. So you, you can have... A, an experience of euphoria that's not the spirit as well. So it's just worth saying that. And often Christians become obsessed with that euphoric experience of the spirit. Um, but it's possible to kind of generate it in, different, in other ways. Probably just worth saying that, that that's not the only possible thing that's going on. And not necessarily the spirit at work and not necessarily uh, the only thing that we should be expecting to feel when the spirit is at work in our life. Because think about this. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, here is Jesus struggling with what to do. Should he go to the cross for our sake or not? And we're told that Jesus was in great anguish and that he, he sweated blood. That's how intense the whole experience was. And here is Jesus, a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit, making a decision, a very difficult decision, to obey God and offer himself as a sacrifice for our sake. That is, that's, that's about as spiritual as it gets, isn't it? 
That's the Holy Spirit at work, sustaining and helping Jesus at that point to make that hard choice. It wasn't an experience of euphoria. It was an experience of deep anguish. And that was the Spirit at work in Jesus. And similarly, when Jesus actually suffers on the cross, it's not a euphoric experience. So there will be times when the Spirit is at work in you in very profound ways that don't feel great necessarily even. Maybe when you're turning away from a habitual sin that's been had a deep hold on your life, that is going to be really painful, but that will certainly be the Spirit at work in you. Or when you make a difficult decision to serve someone else at your own cost, that might be really difficult. That might be an experience... Um, That is not euphoric, but actually is a profound spiritual decision under the power of the Spirit. There's actually one thing in the Bible, one one theme in the Bible where there's a real assurance that the Spirit is at work, that the experience of the Spirit is an experience, Paul says, of power in weakness. That when we're at our weakest, when we're struggling, when we're trying to serve God but we feel like we're failing, uh, when we're frustrated or running low, that that is actually when you're most profoundly likely to experience the Spirit's power. That when you've run out of your own resources, that's when God's power is made perfect in weakness. And uh, so this, this is not necessarily a pleasant experience, but it is a genuine experience of the Spirit. That when, when you're trying to serve God or when you're trying to help others or when you're trying to persevere in the Christian life and it's really hard and God's Spirit comes in and helps you, that that is a real and genuine experience of the Spirit. But it's not something that you would necessarily look for. Uh, about 20 years ago when I just finished Bible college uh, and just started working in a church, I was asked to do a funeral and uh, it was a funeral of a woman who died I think in her early 40s in, a, in an accident. She was an incredibly influential and popular person in the community. I, di- I didn't know this when I said yes to leading the funeral and uh, I realised that there were going to be a lot of people there uh, and I, you know I, I'm a total novice at I think I've I've probably led one funeral before and there were were eight people there or something. And uh, on the day of the funeral, the church, was bigger than this building, was totally full of people. All the seats were taken. And then people started to come in and filled up the sides. They were lined up down the aisles. They were piled up in the back. They spilled out into the car park and into the street. There must have been six or seven hundred people showed up. And I'm just going, I can't do this. What, what do I possibly have to say to these people? How can I, who am I? What can I do? So I'm just totally out of my depth. And so I'm just asking God, please help me. And uh, I just, I stand up there. I just preached the best sermon I have ever preached. (laughs) 
the power of God is at work in me and I tell them about Jesus and the resurrection. That's not an experience that you would deliberately seek, but it is a real experience of the Spirit of God at work. And I think the, the question, the issue is this, do we ever put ourselves in a position where we, will, we might be so much, experience weakness to such an extent, where we run out of our own resources to such an extent that we really do experience the Spirit of God at work in our lives? If you're like me, you prefer comfort, you prefer to stay well within your safety zones. But actually when we take chances to serve God, that is when we have genuine experiences of the Spirit's power. Well, Jesus encourages us to pray for the Spirit. He promises that God will give the Spirit to those who ask. So why don't we pray now and ask for God's Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son and giving us your Spirit so that we can be your children and worship you. And so we pray, please send us, please give us your Holy Spirit. We ask for the work and power of your Holy Spirit in the lives of each person here. That we might truly worship you that we might give our whole lives to you, that everything we do might be worthy worship of you. We thank you for how much you've done for us. We thank you that you gave everything in Jesus and we ask that you would help us to give everything to you by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.